I used to stay in the library and I'll be reading with him. And I even used to go to libraries in Nigeria back as a young person. And I was able to understand the power of books, of knowing that readers are leaders. And he, he told me about a book called Rich Dad for Dad. And that was the book that pretty much changed everything. Hello, hello, I'm Tunde and welcome to How I Crushed It, the podcast that shines a light on talent in the community. Now, before we kick off today, please remember to share the podcast with your friends and family. We're on all the socials at How I Crushed It, so please get the word out there. The more you share, the bigger we grow and the more guests we can get on the show. Now, my guest today is Somi Adegoke, who is the CEO of Rioboth Property Group. Somi is an award-winning property developer and one of the very best at what he does in the UK. In this episode, you'll hear how he went from flipping burgers at McDonald's to flipping million-pound property deals, how the book Rich Dad Poor Dad led him on the path to a life in property, and how having a purpose has allowed him to find his niche in the business world. We started recording the interview at 7am on a cold and very grey Friday morning, so we started off talking about that. Enjoy. Okay, welcome to the show, Sami Adegoke. How are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? Very good. Do you always usually start this early? I start about 5am. So you get into the office at 5am? No, <laughs> I start my day very early so I can get a lot of stuff done because I always have a busy day. So early part of my morning, I learned this from one of my lawyers years ago, is that it gets into work very early about 5am and he's able to finish in time to spend time with his family. So for me, I think that's a very important part of what I'm doing to see that I can do all the stuff and still have time for the family. Yeah. But I guess if you're starting at five, that must mean you're going to bed quite early. So what, what time do you go to bed? I don't go to bed early. That's, a, that's another another part of what... I probably go to bed about about 11 a.m. Sorry, I said okay. 11, 11 p.m., sorry. Wow. Well, it's really good to get you on the show. We are really keen to hear about your your journey, particularly in property. We've had on one or two people that I think you're that I think you know. So we had on a tile from Bricks with Tips, and I think you did a um, a panel uh, talk with him three or four months ago. Is that is that is that correct? Yeah, Tyo. Yeah, Tyo is a good guy. Yeah, funny guy as well. So yeah, but um, he operates a slightly different part of the market, you know, more residential, whereas obviously you're, you're, you're focusing more on the commercial side of things. So we'll get into that in a, in a few minutes. But, um, you know, you've been very successful in the UK, but um, obviously you weren't born here. So if we take it right back to the very beginning, where, where were you born and when, when did you, and what were your kind of early memories of, of growing up as a, as a kid? I was born in the best country in the world. Uh, that's a joke for your audience. I was born in Africa, Lagos, Nigeria. Growing up in Nigeria, obviously, I don't even know Nigeria. I don't know where you're from, but it's a very interesting country. 
with uh, so much potential and opportunity. So growing up in a country where you could hear people tell you about the potential of a country, but you can't you can say it. And uh, you know, every day is, every day is it's more of a struggle saying how things are, but you you know you you have an advantage. The advantage of what obviously now looking to my journey that has helped me achieve the success that I currently have. So yeah, raised and born in Nigeria. And what were your early memories growing up in, in Lagos, you know, as a kid, going to school? How, do, do you have particular memories that you can share with us? Oh, no, great memories. Nigeria is, a, that's what I said, one of the best countries in the world. Growing up in Nigeria was a very, was interesting in the sense of uh, the difficulty of uh, you having to adapt to life uh, in in a very difficult circumstances in time of uh, knowing, for a good example, people that mind them in Nigeria, there's something that's challenging, which is the electricity, electricity problem in Nigeria. And uh, you happen to know that you have to live with that. Uh, and Nigeria kind of, growing up in Nigeria, my part of, my story of Nigeria is looking at the challenges and problems, but your parents, my parents raised me in such a way to look beyond the problems, look beyond the challenges. And uh, raised in a, in a Christian family, uh, were able to understand that the future will be better, the future is bright. We're able to know from a young age there is a better plan for even the country of Nigeria. So we've always lived with understanding. So growing up in Nigeria, great memories of uh, playing around as a young kid with a lot of my friends. Everyone, Nigeria is a very friendly country where you just grow and bond together, make great, great friends. I think probably the best of friends I had in my life was growing up in Nigeria, which so much to my friends today. And uh, going to school, learning to learning education in a different way because I go here when I was a when I was almost a teenager, and the education system in Nigeria is totally different from the UK. But in the midst of all that, it was fun. You just you you could just adapt to what life was. And uh, the other part of my growing up was what I had mentioned to you about faith was a big part of what I prayed out to raise us where and we understand then that fate uh fate was that thing that you can't really see but you would always live to hope in a better tomorrow. So that has been one the final moment of my of my journey in life and that has helped me achieve the success I have today. So Nigerian memories were great. I, I would always live with that. I would always love that that wouldn't change what I've gone through in life because that was the preparation of my journey. So it was always part of the journey. And I can I can never fought that. I can never take that away. And uh, growing up today or in the UK, I know that I would one day eventually contribute my my own quota, my own part, sorry, uh, to changing and having to build uh, 
policies and things that would help Nigeria in the future. Excellent, excellent. I mean, we'll go back to your future and your participation in Nigeria. And I know that you obviously go back to Nigeria quite often anyway. But you mentioned there a couple of times about your parents, and I know they've been very influential in instilling, you know, hard work and discipline into you, into your life when you were when you were a kid. How did they do that? Uh, the first part I always remember my father saying about about hard work, your name, remember the kind, remember the family you're from. When Nigeria, the first thing is family come first. And uh, you're able to understand your story, your history, understanding. I think that's a very important role that I, I always say to people about. What my parents were able to instill in us was your name. Your name open doors. Your name is something you have to protect. Uh, a good name is better than millions of pounds, millions of naira. And that for us growing up was very important. That was a major value. And the other value was faith, was training us in the world of God, where we just know that we needed to love God. We, we, we had this value of waking up early in the morning and having a Bible study, praying in the morning, going to church on Sunday. Uh, that, was a ve- that was very important from a young age. I remember going to church from probably the age of five and just going to that process of the Bible character, the Bible story. And that was part of a process of what they were able to instill in us and put into us to understand the love of God. And uh, which that love, looking through what the challenges of, of Nigeria as a country, that love help you to navigate life, having to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, it was, those were part of the values uh were raised with, which that was able to help us to understand the right part of how you have to grow because I could have, I could have been terrible as a child. I could have been wayward. I could have been, it could, it would have been worse in, in, in my growing up if I didn't have those value that were still into, into me and into my siblings of us knowing the love of God and the value of God. Okay. And I know You've been interviewed elsewhere and you've referenced your mum in particular, how influential she was. And I understand that she was, you know, a bit of an entrepreneur back in the day. And that's where a lot of your inspiration comes from. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about what, what kind of business your mum was operating back then and how, how did you help your mum? It's funny, you've listened to a lot of my interview. <laughs> uh, I would say this, a mother has a, a major role to play in the life of a child. Uh, from a young age, my mom started as a fashion designer. She's very creative and uh, she started her business uh, doing a lot of, she had, she was a designer. She was very creative and designing stuff for, she had a lot of clients. She was doing a lot of stuff for her. And she was very, uh, my mom, I think I took a lot of stuff from my dressing style for my mom. So growing up and seeing that from a young age, knowing that, wow, like you could do this. She had a fashion house where she was training a lot of young people into becoming what we call an Nigeria tailors, where they could learn this. She had, a, she had a training academy. She had her own fashion house where she had a lot of clients. 
And from there, she also had other businesses where I was able to, I think it was probably 14 or 15, and I was able to learn to manage some of those businesses for her because she had quite a number of other businesses that she was managing then. So I was able to see that from a young age uh, for my mom, and I saw the opportunity of, wow, if she can do this at a very young age, why I I was just a teenager, I was able to pick so many so many of my so many of my traits and uh, I worked for her for probably a year just managing stuff I didn't even know I was managing because I didn't understand that was part of where I was learning uh, uh, the journey of me becoming an entrepreneur and uh, navigating through from that young age what my mother was doing so it was it was from that young age a fashion house uh, salon business we also had a mobile, not a mobile, it was in Nigeria, it was challenging. There were, we didn't have mobile phones. So she had a business center where she had, uh, it was called Nitel back in the days where the analog telephone lines, people couldn't, people didn't have access to telephone. So we had two or three telephone lines that were being used in some of our business centers where people would come and receive phone calls, make international phone calls. Uh, so I was able to, Manage that why I was in Nigeria for I was a teenager. So it was part of, yeah, that was the beginning of me understanding you could, and the business centers were doing very, very well because we didn't have business centers in Nigeria. We probably had one of the first few business centers in Nigeria back in those, back in the days. Fantastic. Yeah. That sounds like it was a, the perfect grounding, uh, almost like a training ground for you to develop your, business and entrepreneurial skills yeah you're right because dealing with a lot of dealing with a lot of adult we, we used to have over 100 clients in a day so as a teenager dealing with because i was the face of the business managing the salon doing stuff like that they had the addresses they had the barbers and the business center so being able to manage uncles and aunties at a very young age yeah you're very right thinking back now to that process was was very, that was an integral part of my, my journey as well. Now, I understand that you came, you decided to make the decision to come to the UK at the age of 20 to do your A-levels. What was the, what was the reasoning behind, you know, making the big move and not staying in, in Lagos? <laughs> okay. Lagos was, Lagos back, what, what, what obviously things have changed now education system has changed. Uh, it wasn't at, a, at that stage in life you needed to find what to do in order to become successful in life. And I think for my parents, it was a decision of we, there's something in you, there's, there's, there is a pattern of what we think uh, in terms of you as a child. We need to do a lot. We need to do more to kind of develop what you have in you. So it was, my parents were able to see that from a young age and thought it was important for me to have the best of education I can have access to, have the best, uh, have the have the access to a different life where I could do well. I could, and uh, thanks to my parents because it was a lot. My my father was a journalist, and my father, my father was someone that uh, wanted the best for us as as, as children, same as my mother. And I think for them it was, we just have to do something to see that 
Some can have a better life. And yeah, they were able to pull that through. And I got to the UK at, at that young age. And uh, yeah, that was the beginning. So thanks to my parents for being able to push that. I was able to get to the UK at a young age. And how, how were the first six months, you know, living in the UK? It's a big transition for anybody, but particularly at the age of 19, 20. How, how did you find those initial months? So for me, remember what I said, fate has always been part of my life. And I remember my, there's there's a particular word that I've always stayed and leave with me is uh, for I know the plans I have for you, they're good plans. It was that very tough. I remember days where I was crying, like missing my parents, missing my siblings. And it was it was challenging. But I remember the word that resonated in me was the plans of God. He had a plan for me, plan of a good success. And uh, coming to the UK was part of it. But thanks be to God that the faith element was part of the journey that came going. Then I had, I had family support as well. I had my aunties. My aunties were fantastic. I had, I had an auntie that was, I wouldn't even say an auntie. She was a sister. She was, we grew up together. As, she was part of my family. She was my mom's sister, but she was a sister. We didn't see her as an auntie. So I had the support system. I had two aunties. I had uncles. I had fantastic family system that helped me, uh, my cousin. So it was, that support was there for me. And I also had the church, which the church was a massive support system coming to the UK at a young age. So having the family support, my aunties, my cousins, my uncles, and the church. And uh, the Nigerian community was something big where you come to the UK, everyone was supportive. Like, I don't know how much you know about Nigeria, but you're, you meet someone and that person becomes your family. That becomes like your cousin, your auntie, your uncles. They were just there to support. The support system was was fantastic, but pretty much tough because I wasn't used to the system. I had to find the world, understanding the system, but the support system was 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 there to kind of help me to understand it. And uh, yeah, for thanks be to God that I had that support system to help, to, to help me navigate the journey. One of my uncle who later became my mentor, he's passed away now, Was very, he was a businessman, so I learned so much from him. He was a big, he was a big mentor. He tried to help me navigate my life on time. And also my, my aunt was, she was, she, my first job, she was able to help me secure the first job as well. So it wasn't so bad, but as a young person, you, I was, the family system for me growing up in Nigeria, my parents and siblings was, was so, so close. So, it was tough, but the grace of God was there for me to to kind of find my path. Yeah, I've had, you know, family, friends, aunties, cousins, whatever, come from Nigeria. And I've seen firsthand how difficult the first few months can be. You, you might often have a bit of depression, as you, as you mentioned, missing family members, sisters, brothers, parents. So having that network of people here, whether it's aunties or, you know, uncles or whatever, friends, is really, really important. But um, I understand that you, I think you went to the same college that I did, City and Islington College. Now, I know they have different sites. So what particular site did you go to? So, wow, so you went to City and Islington. <laughs> yeah, but the one I went to was in um, near Old Street, but they've closed down that site That's now. what I so went to as well. That's the same. 
Oh, yeah. That's the same wow. place, yeah. <laughs> wow. That is strange. So the one in Hoxton, yeah? That's it. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, yeah, I think it's now a museum or something. Yeah. Okay. That's good. So yeah, did your A-levels and then you've, you made your way to University of Central Lancashire. So that's, that's up north, isn't it? So again, how did you find that? Because that's quite a different experience to living in London. And how, do, how did you find the course that you were doing there? I, my journey was interesting because I, I went after Sydney Eastern to London Met and oh, okay. uh, I was doing... So back in the days, IT was the, the major stuff. Everyone, every young person, every uncle and aunties were trying to get us into the world of IT because you had, you had Cisco, you had Java, you had so many, like, so many opportunities because IT was the, the key thing. Like, that was the boom of, uh, the birth of IT. Uh, so I went into studying IT, but realized that that wasn't really for me. I, it was very complicated. And uh, it was funny because I just remember now, I also tried to do something else, which was in public relations because my father was a journalist. So I, I always feel like I would want to follow that. I want to follow that journey. I want to, because I just love the way he made a success for himself in his career as a journalist. And I thought that might be a path for me, but that never worked. And this is part of what I always say to people about understanding your purpose understanding what God needs you to do. So for me, I I just, I was trying to do a lot of stuff that wasn't me. Uh, IT, my uncle was into IT, so I thought this was a way for me to become successful. So I just had to, I wasn't finding that purpose in the course I had to stop and then realize later that my key purpose was in business. Uh, because from a very young age, even from what I said about Nigeria, that was the beginning and even for my journey from having to start, I don't know if I want to talk about the story of McDonald's now, but I I saw from a young age that there was there was that quality to the trade of business in me, and that was why I had to switch over to go study business management in uh, 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 University of Central Lancashire. Yeah, so I mean, apart from the course, I mean, how did you find? Studying up in uh, is it Manchester, isn't it? Around Ma- Manchester, northwest. It wasn't bad. It was. It was okay. It was for me. It was just. It was doing something different, and uh, I could do stuff even online. It was. So it wasn't so bad. It wasn't. Uh, 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 it wasn't a crazy move. You mentioned earlier about your auntie helping you to uh, find your first job. Was the first job in McDonald's? Is that the one you're referring to? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I know McDonald's was quite, again, quite influential in your your business, your you know your your business career. And t- tell us about how influential it was and what you learned particularly from McDonald's. McDonald's was the coming from Nigeria, and uh, we grew up in Nigeria in a restaurant, a fast food restaurant called Mister Big. So that was. That's not, that's very similar to McDonald's for us. And seeing McDonald's was, McDonald's was a big stuff back in the days. Like everyone, every young person, even while I was in Sydney, Islington, I had a lot of my, my friends talking about getting the job at McDonald's. Like we're being paid three pounds, 15 pence an hour. <laughs> and that was a lot of money. And yeah. you, you, you just knew like, if I could get a job at McDonald's, that was that was that was great. But I 
I was kind of, I was my assistant, my auntie had a, had a salon as well. And uh, I just didn't see myself there. And so then there was a man, bless him, Uncle Sam. I'll never forget him. Uh, he was my auntie's friend who was able to get me a job in McDonald's. And I remember one, when I went for the interview and he said, don't worry, you will get a job. I, I, I will never forget this. There was a lady that interviewed me was called Natasha. Natasha was from Jamaica. She was very friendly. And she was like, Sammy, I think you're going to do all right here. And I said, okay, let's, let's go for it. And uh, went, for my, went for my training. And everyone, everyone, like, everyone was supportive and really liked me uh, because I was coming from Nigeria, fresh from the boat. They just loved the way Nigerians speak. They were very funny, a sense of humor. So it was a job I just got from my first interview. I didn't even have to go to a long process. The following day, I was back in McDonald's in training. Uh, and within a week, I was on the, I was working from, I was working on the grill, working on the, working on the till. Within a month, I knew everything in McDonald's, working on the grill, working on the till, working on the, uh, working uh, in the drive-through. And it was, it was just fantastic. That was the beginning of a journey for me, understanding what McDonald's was. And from there, I was able to pick on time that McDonald's wasn't just a fast food uh, restaurant or fast food rest business. McDonald's was more than that. McDonald's was more of a real estate franchise. It was, that was an eye-opener for me, understanding what McDonald's was about. So that was the beginning of a journey of, my, of me navigating my way into real estate from having to work in my thirds. And again, you know, your next job that you had, you were working as a security guard for a while. Uh, again, you picked up a lot of learnings from, from that job. Exactly. I mean, what, what kind of learnings did you pick up from, from that job? It's so funny hearing how you've, you've studied or listened to my story. Uh, McDonald's for me was the beginning. Uh, it was the beginning of a journey. I knew there was a journey. I was focused to understand this old, this journey you just need to learn, understood as well. Uh, there is, remember, a plan, which is the plan of God. So the plan was just carry on learning, learning, understanding this. For McDonald's, I said to you, we started, I started on £3.15. Pens. I was getting, like, I was getting promoted because I was just, people liked me. My managers loved me. They thought I was going to be, uh, a shift manager. So the plan was for me for McDonald's was getting to become a shift manager. But after a while, I realized there was a lot of, there's a lot of challenges at McDonald's because my, the growth paths, you probably need to be there for a lot, for a lot, like for years for you to kind of become a proper manager. So I knew this was going to be challenging. I thought um, there might be a better opportunity. And, uh, I started thinking of, I started thinking outside the box from what I, I was able to understand about the real estate, if I, if I can get into, my plan was maybe I might own a McDonald's one day. So just work hard and see what you can do. You might, you might be able to get a franchise. And uh, the opportunity of working as a security guard came when Canary Wharf was being built. And uh, I applied uh, to, I applied for the role in Canary Wharf uh, as a security officer and uh First interview was great. I, I, I passed to the, I, I went to the first round. Second round, I was told I was too short. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get a job. And that was so painful because 
I was getting paid, I think, seven pounds in McDonald's. I was on six or seven pounds. And the security job was about 12 or 15 pounds, which was a lot of money uh, back in the days. And I thought that was going to change a lot for me. But that didn't stop me not getting the job. I went to another company called First Security Group, which uh, First Security were close to City and East Linton, uh, on Old Street. Uh, so I was lucky, got the job. And I started, I was able to start my going to uni and then working as a security guard. And uh, fast forward, that was the beginning for me of having to understand a proper job because the security, I was working with a lot of uncles, like those were people that were in their 40s, 50s, 60s. So it was it was an eye-opener where I, could, I was studying at the same time and having that. And from that, that was the beginning. I was my journey of real estate started from that job because I was I was lucky I was working in one of the one of the first office the first major a major development uh, that was built in Nightbridge across the road from my road, which was a, a major office building uh, and uh, I met the developer and that was that was the beginning he was the one that opened my eyes to understanding real estate and yeah so. That was where the journey started from. And what, what did he do or what did he say in particular that inspired you to get into real estate? So following the part of my dad growing up, my dad was, uh, my dad is big on, on books. He used to read a lot. So he had a massive library. So I used to read a lot from, I used to fall, I used to stay in the library and I'll be reading with him. And I even used to go to libraries in Nigeria back as a, as a young person. And I was able to understand the power of, of, of books, of, of uh, knowing that leaders, are, uh, readers are leaders. And he, he told me about a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that was the book that pretty much changed everything. Uh, I started reading Rich Dad and Poor Dad. And that, because I just, I was very, as a young, as a young person in the UK, coming from Nigeria, we, our parent made us understand, like, just be bold. So I, I, I could talk to anyone. So the boldness was there for me to just speak to anyone. This was a, a CEO of a major development company. And I was able to express myself, asking him questions about how do you get into real estate? What can I do? Uh, and it was, he just said it, that there were books. I could I can start reading books to get into real estate. So he gave me some books and reached that portal was the major one. That was the game changer. And uh, I started understanding real estate. I started understanding investment. I, I, I was able to pick the, the power of investment. So I started saving. Growing up in Nigeria as well, my mom taught us the power of savings. I, I, was, I knew how to save, but UK was different because you could save and understand investment. You could save and understand how to go around investing. Uh, back in the days of what I was saying, we as black people didn't have within our mentors, within our people, within our community that were big on real estate investment, they were even big on investment. A lot of people were working for survivors. So reading those, reading that book was a game changer and that was the beginning of my understanding of real estate. Yeah, that, that book gets mentioned quite a lot and actually it's a book that I've got at least a couple of my nephews. I bought them that book as well. So I'm hoping, hoping they've, they've read it. In fact, I bought one of them the book over Christmas. So yeah, I will be chasing him up to make sure he's, he's read that book. 
uh, yeah, I mean, it's great to hear that, you know, you got some inspiration from that CEO. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you, if you, con- if I don't know if you're still in contact with that guy, but if you went back to him just to see, just for him to see how you've progressed. I mean, is that, has that crossed your mind at all? Do you think he's still around, that, that, that CEO? I don't even know where, I don't know where he's, so it's <laughs> okay. a long time. What you always have, I tell people this, is you have people that would sort of say that you just never, they, they're very, they're like angels. They come into your life and just say something. And you just never, that, that one meaning to that five minutes of having to learn something from them would be the game changer. But as I started, as I, I went into that journey of learning and reading, I met a lot of people that probably had, had more value in terms of mentorship, in terms of coaching me, for me to, they look at me now and they're very proud of the success because I still relate with them. I still have mentors that I've seen my journey uh, and uh, I've had people that had direct mentorship, direct uh they pull themselves into my life. I've seen them uh, grow. They've seen me as a better person. They've seen me develop my business. They've seen the journey through of what where I started from nothing and where I am today. So I, I still I'm still in touch with a lot of my mentors and my 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 coach, my people that probably advised me onto the journey of what what I currently do. Now, of course, your main business now is real estate. But back in the day in, in the UK, you didn't start out. You didn't start out your entrepreneurial journey in real estate. You you were getting involved in other things, selling mobile phones and so forth. Could you um, give us an idea what kind of things you were selling and how, how successful you were with, with these um, different ventures? So when I was able to save a lot of money from, because that was, like I said to you about saving was key, I, I wasn't, Paying rent, uh, my I was with my aunt, I was with my sister, so I, I didn't I could save a lot. Uh, so and for me, I was making a lot of money. I wasn't spending. I had this Halifax ISA account that was saving so much in Halifax, and uh, and I saw the opportunity in Nigeria with a telecommunication when the president there was a president called. Obasanjo came into power and they had a license for telecommunication because I don't know if you know Nigeria so well. Mobile, we didn't have mobile phones. So uh, he was able to get it into power. They had Globalcom, they had MTN. So I started sending phones from the UK to Nigeria. Uh, remember we had phones like that Nokia 3310, 7210. So I started buying a lot of this phone in bulk. Uh, buying phones from the, like the Asian community, buying phones from, we had this newspaper that was called The Loot back in those days. And uh, I was buying a lot of mobile phones from The Loot, sending, sending to Nigeria. So I opened three outlets in Nigeria. There was one in Lagos. There's another one in Port Harcourt. There was another in Abuja. And uh, uh, me and my brother, he was the one, my brother was the one heading the, 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 the stores in Nigeria. So we had a big plan of getting into, uh, getting a license to, uh, getting a license and selling phones. But we started from the market in the UK, buying a lot of uh, uh, used phones and, and shipping them to Nigeria. And we we're making a lot of money from doing that in Nigeria. And uh, we also then, when I went into laptops as well, 
will buy a lot of then we had Dell laptop, IBM Dell Dell laptop was the big I don't even think I still I we used to have a lot of, I don't even know the Dell laptop. Uh we had Dell Latitude. We had so many Dell laptops that were used laptop and I was just buying and shipping to Nigeria. So that was one of the business businesses I had back then in Nigeria, selling laptop, mobile phones. Then we had the challenge of the Chinese market getting into Nigeria. And uh, it was tough uh, because the Chinese market took over Nigeria. Then we had the computer village setting up. So the, the monopoly, things change. And uh, we had to start thinking of all the, all the businesses we could do. So from there, we made a lot of money. We were think we set up printers. So there was a lot of stuff from the telecommunication stuff I started in. I started in Nigeria, getting the funds here. Then I went into buying cars as well. I used to buy a lot of cars and I used to sell a lot of cars. And back then we had this magazine. We didn't have, so the internet wasn't, we didn't have, we didn't have, we currently have the internet as strong as it is, it is now. Uh, we had this auto trader. I don't even know auto trader. Uh, we used to have an auto trader magazine. So I used to buy cars from outside London. I'll go to auctions, buy cars from outside London. So one uncle used to taught me about that. So I was smart enough to start buying cars for less than a thousand pounds, buy them at the auction for about, I could buy five cars and bring them back to London. Uh, and, uh, I would get, I had someone in the post office that would help me with getting the tax on the car. So aunties and uncles couldn't get the car tax. So I would get, uh, the, uh, the trade insurance. So with my trade insurance, I could buy tax on the cars and then sell on. So, we would buy the cars, put them on, there's a place called Albany Road in South London. Uh, used to, back in those days, you saw the council, the Wyoming laws where you could just park anywhere and you could just put your car for sale. Things were safe, put the cars on the road. So I made a lot of money selling cars as well. That was, that was a big part of my, my, uh, my business, uh, buying cars from, Auction, then we had Copart. Copart came to the UK from America. We used to buy a lot of cars from Copart. And yes, yeah, so part of the journey was selling cars as well, the mobile phone businesses. Then uh, uh, went into real estate from buying offline properties. That was another major, that was that journey of me getting into real estate, buying a lot of offline properties from the likes of Barrett. And that was pretty much the journey. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. You mentioned about the car auction. My my first car I first bought was a Volkswagen Polo. And my uncle helped me to go down to the uh, auction house and purchase the car. I think I purchased it for about £450 or something. But I just remember that experience. It sounds very you know similar to, to what you were doing. You mentioned there, you know, buying your first uh, property off plan. That was on the residential side. When did the thought come to you to move into commercial property? When when did that first cement in your in your mind? So residential was great. My my uncle taught me a lot about the residential market. So we used we used to buy a lot of upland properties. Mortgage getting a mortgage was easy. Uh, then the recession came and everything just went crazy, and uh, made made. Good money from residential properties, uh, but it was it was tough because of recession. It was tough because 
the mortgage system was became other and uh I was thinking of what i what I could start to do with a lot of other businesses that I have but coming back into commercial real estate, a big part of my life was I was looking around something was missing because when I speak to people about understanding purpose, which is something I speak a lot about, there were many businesses I was involved in, the telecommunication, the car, getting into residential properties, getting into the Nigerian business and all of that. But something was missing. I, I didn't have I didn't have a purpose of what I was doing. Uh, people would ask me, what do you do? I'm a businessman. So there was no clarity of purpose and confusion was there. I needed to understand what what was the key stuff for for me to do. What would be that thing that people would always, when people meet me, they can it it, it just that stands out as as a, as a distinction of people understanding what my value was, what what my purpose was, and I was struggling trying to understand that. Then then come into my life uh, a a mentor, a spiritual mentor that I was listening to by the name Miles Moran that spoke about understanding your purpose. And that was the big stuff for me. I'm very big on purpose. I I tell a lot of people that you need to be able to understand your purpose. You need to understand why you're created and that, why God has made you, what value you represent. Your value become the purpose of what you live for. Your value become that purpose you're called for. I mentioned a lot of stuff about my faith. And for me, Christ had a purpose. His purpose was to die for us. Every human being has a purpose that God has created you for. And that was something missing. And I, I, I needed to find that purpose. And in my in my quest of understanding my purpose and finding my purpose was where I was able to get into the journey of commercial real estate. And that was the big thing for me that, God was able to align my purpose with, and that was the beginning of getting into commercial real estate sector, which now I live it, I understand it, and I've, I've been able to fulfill that purpose that God needed me to get into. And getting into that purpose was where I started with the consultancy arm of the business that led into the development, investment, and what we currently have as a business. Now, I know a lot of people in, in the property industry in the UK, you know, particularly maybe the, the smaller operators, a lot of them get the training. You know, they pay thousands of pounds to get the training. They do the training with various training providers. But it seems like you didn't need to do any of the training. You, it was almost the case that you learned on the job. Is, is that correct? Or did you, did you actually get any training? I think <laughs> I almost <laughs> got trained, but that's a joke. <laughs> it did train me, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't take that away. You know, remember I said to you about the purpose. In that yeah. purpose, I was able to spend time. I had a, a passionate retreat where I had to find and understand what I, what God's purpose was for me. And in that purpose, I I saw a big opportunity, which was within the faith community, where churches and faith organizations were struggling finding buildings. And... I was able to birth that business of creating the solution and finding buildings for faith organizations, especially churches. Uh, in London, there is a massive demand for 
spaces uh, for religious purpose and churches would always struggle to find this building. And that was the key stuff. I started, I'm big on researching. I started researching. I started studying the trend, reading through stuff, went out to a lot of church pastors, uh, speaking to them, looking at the problems. I remember sitting with my pastor there. Uh, he's one of my mentors as well, seeing the challenges of the ch- of the faith community. And I saw, wow, this is a massive opportunity. I remember I come from a faith community and I could see, I could tell that there is a big opportunity, which for me was part of my life, part of my faith. My kingdom mentality was I needed to solve this problem of finding buildings for churches. And that was the birth of robots. So I didn't really need, I didn't need to start doing training. What I had to do was I was able to find people in the industry, see the problems, see the challenges, learn a lot from them, understand, okay, this is, this is going to be interesting. How do I then start finding those buildings that the churches were looking for? And that was the beginning. So it was a niche market. It was about a problem. I could find a solution. The solution was getting the buildings, finding those buildings that were empty, finding buildings that were fit for purpose for the faith community, and that was how I was able to. Birth this. It wasn't. I didn't. I didn't have to go for training, but I was able to learn on the journey. I, I was reading a lot. I was buying books. I was reading stuff online, watching stuff on YouTube. So I coach, and I was able to mentor myself. But I still had. My mentors, uh, we where I was able to learn so much from them as well, and that was the beginning for me. Yeah, I mean that's that sounds fantastic that you were able to find such a particular niche. I mean that's just very inspiring. And for for the listeners, you know, Sammy now his business is now focused on converting buildings like warehouses, bingo buildings, prisons, courthouses, and as as he said earlier at least initially, you know, conversing them to, to places of worship. So is it the case that most of the places of worship up and down the country or, or particularly in London, do they actually own their own properties or do, are they still renting, renting the space? So you have to market, you have the, the ones that are renting, you have the ones that own their building. But one of the major stuff with a lot of churches is they rather prefer to own. From what we started, we started training and, and teaching a lot of churches about the power of ownership. I'm very big on ownership, uh, big on having to train our community on ownership. We're still, very, we're still behind when it comes to ownership. And uh, a lot of the churches now have taken on board a lot of our trainings and uh, a lot of our advice on having to own their building because just look at it from having to lease a building for 10 years or 15 years and you, you put a lot of money and you end up, you can't own the building or after 10, 15 years, the landlord decides to uh, kick you out of the property. So a lot of them are everyone owning their building, but it's the major problem is, which is in the niche market is you have massive demand, but you have less supply of those buildings. So you don't have a lot of these buildings coming to the market. And that's why we had to be creative. We had to be innovative to find solutions of converting the likes of bingo building, uh, prisons, police stations, industrial warehouse, uh, court buildings, uh, even uh, schools into places of, of, of worship. 
So how, how many churches or, you know, mosques and so forth, how many have you, have you worked on and converted and yeah, how many have you helped, I guess, over the years? I've lost count because we have, we have, we have thousands of them on our, on our database. We've, we've helped a lot. We were very big in that market. We, we represent a lot of the faith organizations. And when we, when you look at the faith organization, a lot of them are branches where you have one church having about 500 branches. Some have over a thousand. Some have 300. Some have relative numbers of, of different branches because the, the major stuff for a lot of the churches is the growth expansion because, uh, it's, if you understand faith is about spreading the good news of Christ spreading the love of Christ, spread, uh, helping the community. So it's for the faith communities, having to see that they're around every community to see that they can support this community and also be able to carry out their charity obligations as faith people. And, um, you, you know, you don't just focus on places of worship. You have um, focused on creating co-working spaces as well and private office space as well. And uh, you've been so successful that I think you've now got over 30 million worth of assets. Is, is that is that the, the number now or is that, has that increased or decreased? Numbers keep increasing. No, <laughs> it's increasing. Okay. It's, so what it, remember I said about purpose for me was the first part of the business was consultancy where we started helping churches. And I'm very big on legacy. I'm big on saying that whatever we do is creating legacy. And uh, coming into that niche market, we're able to we're able to get our foot into that, and we build a name which now will represent thousands of uh, faith organisations. From the consultancy arm of the business, we were able to see that we also we went into development where we had opportunities of looking at different buildings because I come across a lot of buildings all the time for the for the faith community but some of these buildings are not fit for purpose for uh for that for the faith organization. Uh some of them are police stations where you probably can't even have a, a big auditorium. And uh we then went into development where we're able to turn some police station into co working spaces, uh private offices, event spaces and that was the journey of going into development where we had pubs where we turned into a pub hotel, uh, event space, creative lounge. The key part of what we do is it's focus on community. I, I'm big on impact in the community, helping the community. And every development opportunity we have would always bring in the community element into how can this building be fit for purpose, uh, big on having not to knock down existing building. I'm big on space optimization. How do we see that we can optimize the spaces where existing buildings in time of we're looking at what we call retrofit, we can use existing building, turn them around, add the elements of the new and the old, and still can be useful for the community. That's why you say a lot about development, uh, development we want a lot of our work for because of our creative and innovative we design the old and the new uh, and having that community uh, impact is, is so great on what we do. Uh, town centres with generation, 
we we heavily involved in a lot of town centre regeneration now, where we've, we have a lot of partnership with a lot of councils, where we buy and do a lot of joint ventures with them, developing a lot of their a lot of their town centre buildings uh, for the community, even within the faith community as well. We have a lot of development with the churches where we build on either existing, it might be what we can develop on their rooftop, even knocking down existing and creating, because they have a lot of old church buildings that can be repurposed and you can even build a lot of residential. We're very big on the housing market for affordable homes. So with the church partnership, we, 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 we tend to go into a lot of affordable housing, which we need as, as, as a nation. So, in terms of our development, we're very, we heavily focus on affordable housing as well. And uh, investment is something we're very big on. Uh, you mentioned a number, our numbers have grown beyond that. So we, we do a lot of investment where we buy a lot of rundown, building, add value to them, then keep them under investment. A lot of our assets we buy are rundown assets where we can add value to this asset. And by doing that, we then bringing tenants into those assets, like the co-working space you mentioned, private office spaces, event spaces, apart hotels. So we, we, we then make money from letting those buildings, which part of them also are affordable, uh, co-working spaces, affordable spaces, and we're able to refinance those assets and keep them uh, on our books. We bought a lot of buildings from, from the government. We, we bought a lot of buildings from... Uh, institutional investors, institutional owners as well. Uh, so we, we, we're quite every from what we do currently from consultants. Even in our consultancy as well, we have a number of the business that we have uh, first-time buyers, international buyers, helping them uh, buy the first property in the UK. So the business has grown from the consultancy into development and into investment. Yeah, I mean, it's so inspiring to hear what you've what you've done in this in this space. So so inspiring. I mean, we're, we're kind of running out of of time, but I just wanted to ask you a couple of more questions. First one is one that we ask all of the guests on the on the show. You know, you've been really successful to date, but how much of your success is down to one of the these three things? If you had to choose one of the three things, what would it be? So, would it be either luck, hard work? or talent? Which one of those three is most responsible for the success you've had to date? Ah, my answer isn't in another three, but I'll go for talent based on your, what you said. And talent comes from, talent is from the creator. is giving us the ability to, to be creative. And that's the talent that's worked for me as a business person. It gave me the talent and I've been able to utilise that talent for his purpose and that yeah that's my answer to that excellent i like it's uh nice nice and concise i mean some of you you're a multi-award winner i don't know if people recognize this and I'll, I'll put some of these awards on the on the show notes but um you know you've been the first black recipient of the entrepreneur award entrepreneur of the year and that was with the property awards you've been a nominator you've been you've won the property developer of the year and that was but that was from the property investors awards You've been awarded the Real Estate CEO of the Month by Acquisition International and then many other awards that you've won. So I'm just wondering, what's next for you? You know, you've mentioned about going back to Nigeria and and doing some more investing there. What's on the horizon for you and your business? Uh, We 
we're probably going into something really big, which I might I might not be able to say on the podcast because we're still uh, in final stage of launching a fund. So the big stuff is soon. We're, we're doing something really big, which is an impact uh, fund, which that will change a lot because that's going to focus on community regeneration uh, as a social impact fund. So that's a massive one, which, yeah, you can look out for that. That's a game changer that's coming soon. So maybe another time I might come on your podcast and talk more about that. And what are you doing with Nigeria as well? Because you mentioned Nigeria um, quite a few times. I'm, I'm big in Nigeria. I believe that the change in Nigeria will come for people, from people like us that understand Nigeria. We can only be the change we need as a country. Nigeria is great in terms of the resources we as a country. Leadership is a major problem. And I'm, I'm big on saying that I can contribute wherever I can do. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of uh, people that will come together as a group to see that uh, we'll build a think tank solution towards helping Nigeria develop. We'll be doing a lot. We have even a focus on affordable housing in Nigeria and uh, the change for Nigeria will come from Nigerians and the law would come from people from the diaspora. So uh, you would see a lot of things we'll be doing in, in coming years that will be launching in, in Nigeria, not just Nigeria, but Africa as as a continent. Okay, well, we um, look forward to hearing a bit more about the Impact Fund and all of the things you have in the pipeline for Nigeria. And I'm sure whatever you do, you'll be really successful. So, Sammy, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Tony. Thank you to Sammy. I think with some people, it's very clear what they will become from quite early on. And that's certainly the case with Sammy. I found it fascinating when he started talking about selling mobile phones, laptops, buying multiple cars at auctions. He's just a serial entrepreneur. And as the case with many entrepreneurs, they've usually flexed their muscles on other business ventures before they found success. You know, it's quite rare, I think, to find somebody like Mark Zuckerberg who found massive success on their very first business venture. Anyway, let us know what you thought about that. Have any of you ever bought a car at auction? Have any of you ever worked at McDonald's? You know, the, the, the important stuff. Let's hear from you. Hit us up on the socials at How I Crushed It or send us an email to howicrushedit at gmail.com and catch you on the next show.